Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. April the 11th, and we can look back on a first weekend of cricket in the county championship and some very lively activity in the IPL as well as surfeits of cricket to watch at the moment. I mean, actually, I suppose the perfect scenario is sitting in the sun in at Lords or the Aegeus Bowl or up at Headingley and, and then having your phone on for, for watching a bit of IPL at the same time, if you could uh, stomach that. Uh, it's certainly been entertaining anyway, hasn't it? And actually, the, the great thing to say is with all that rain around, we've actually managed to get, for in the Championship, we've managed to get some proper results, in fact, as well. It's been hard to know what to watch uh, over the weekend, Yoz. I think I was watching three matches at the same time uh, at one stage. I was watching a game on my phone, I was watching a game on my laptop, and I was watching a game on the television. So an uh, IPL game and two championship matches. Where, where should we begin? Should we begin with the championship? Because it was a sort of remarkable round of games, really, wasn't it? The, the fact that, you know, you think 6th of April, I mean, it was pretty cold and miserable last week, but the weather perked up in time for enough meaningful action to, to take place. You felt a bit sorry for Somerset and Warwickshire down there at Torns because they have an enormous amount of rain in the West Country, so they, they lost today. But in most of the other games had you know, a decent amount of play. There were lots of results around. You know, some, some draws where the pitches were, were flat. You know, thinking of Old Trafford and Cardiff, I watched a lot of both of those uh, matches. But I suppose the real drama came at, at Headingley, didn't it? I mean, imagine being Finlay Bean, scoring your maiden first-class 100 in a, in a score of over 500, and then, would you believe it, ending up on the losing side. And, and Leicestershire winning their first match at Headingley since, I think it was before the First World War. I mean, it, it, extraordinary, 1910, really. it was. Yeah, Not, yeah. 1910, mm. chasing down almost 400 to win. The team that are often the wooden spoonists, uh, the, 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 the sort of lowly team 
in county championship cricket generally and being able to chase that score with you know, a, a, a relative list of unknowns and one or two respected names as well and you know just a fantastic run chase going at almost five and over Yorkshire declaring in some people's view certainly I think the, the local Headingley supporters view declaring a little bit late sort of midway through the morning session on the final day setting Leicestershire close to 400 to win <laughs> and then looking back at well we should have batted on even more because they, they got there uh, absolutely amazing shades of David Gower against the West Indies in what 1984 when he was told to declare got to declare got to declare left the declaration too late and then the game finishing well inside the distance and West Indies winning by nine wickets I mean, it, it's a it's difficult isn't it sometimes to to judge the declaration I was watching the Surrey match against Lancashire and, and Rory Burns was trying to judge the declaration in that match as well. You know, has he left his team enough time? Do they need to bat on? Have, you know, how many runs do they need? They were sort of actually a little bit hanging on for a Ben Folk's 100, which can sometimes get in the way of a declaration. And, and Folk's played really well. Runnable 100, which is a great start to the season for him. Uh, but in the end, the, the, the pitch is winning. I mean, who would have thought that, Yoz? I mean, some of the grounds, really, the, the pitches were the winners. I, I, Old Trafford was definitely one. Cardiff was was definitely another. I, I was watching a lot of the Gloucestershire against Glamorgan game as well, and, it, and you, it, I mean, it was difficult to start with wickets falling left, right, and centre on the first day or so, and then after that the pitch just flattened out. It was slow, really tough for for bowlers to get through. You talk about early April pitches, oh, there's going to they're going to be nipping everywhere, uh, but not not in mm. Cardiff. It was you know it was a re really no. tough to to get anyone out. In um, at Lords, it was a different story, and and the thing about Lords is because of the slope. You only need a tiny bit of help, and that can really make a big difference. So if there's just a hint of movement in the pitch in an, an early season match at Lords, the slope will aid that extra movement. And it was certainly brilliantly exploited, particularly by Jamie Porter for Essex. Also, actually, a credit to, to Toby Rowland Jones, who did seven for in uh, Essex's first innings. But Middlesex, uh, top order, blown away twice. They were four for four in the first innings with all the top four making a, a duck, and poor old Mark Stoneman uh, getting a pair in that uh, first match for Middlesex. Essex, I think, just looking a bit too strong. Middlesex having been promoted after five years in the second division, caught on the hop, just not quite the quality uh, with bat or ball that maybe is required at uh, first division level. I actually found it quite amusing that in the second innings of that game uh, for Essex, I was watching uh, from the commentary box at Lords, thinking this is destined. It's a lovely morning. I thought this is Saturday morning. Alistair Cook booked in for a hundred, uh, and he was knocking it around beautifully, just looking totally comfortable. And then he hit one just slightly uppish drive. A brilliant catch by Ryan Higgins, caught and bowled, left-handed, one-hand sort of instinctive grab, and poor old Cookie walking off uh, with only 28 to his name on a Saturday morning at Lords. I mean, he would have been absolutely cursing. But Essex were good enough in the end to, to score enough runs. And I, I, the, the man who stood out, actually, in that match was the man we had on our uh, virtual cricket club last week, who was on the podcast, of course, Dan Lawrence, who vowed that it, what he uh, achieves, what he aims to achieve in the game is hundreds in four-day cricket. That was his absolute uh, ultimate satisfaction forget franchise cricket forget even test cricket at the moment I just want to score lots of runs for Essex and hundreds hundreds in the championship give me more satisfaction than anything what did he do he scored 100 in that first innings for Essex 
obviously with more with different aspects of cricket coming into the game at the moment as well. Like I think four day cricket might not be everyone's cup of tea nowadays. Um, but obviously there's a few of us still left who who kind of see that as your bread and butter. I don't think as a batter you get more satisfaction out of scoring a first class hundred or a test hundred or whatever than than kind of franchise scores and, and that's how I see it. And it wasn't um a sort of circumspect hundred either. Occasionally, he just stepped up the wicket and drilled it back over long off for four or six. So he's a really interesting player, and I just love his attitude. He says that you know his his mentality to bat is yeah you know you want to make a big score, but occasionally he just wants to take the, the catch the bowler off guard. So he'll just stride up the pitch completely out of the blue and bash it somewhere. And he, and he did that very effectively. He's, he's, a, he's a hell of a talent, actually. And, and he, I can see him thinking his way through an innings as well. If he can see a bowler building up a bit of pressure, his intent is, right, I'm going to knock him, I'm going to surprise him, shock him, knock him off his length. And that, that's a really entertaining way to watch the game. And also as well, you, you think you know a hundred on a flat surface is one thing, but a hundred on a surface where the the bowlers are in the game is something completely different, isn't it? You know, in terms of assessing you know, that that stats based model that selectors use, you know, where you score your runs, in what conditions you score your runs, you know, if you if you do score it where the bowlers are on top, then that's a, you know it's far more valuable and and far more meaningful in a way. And I'm talking about Marcus Harris's hundred down at. Uh, Sophia Gardens for, for Gloucestershire. Uh, you know he's an Australian. He's over here in in England. Uh, Hanscom scoring some runs for Leicestershire as well. You know they they're, they're hoping to get selected in the Australian uh, Test squad for the Ashes. And you know he, he took hundred nearly hundred and fifty off Lamorgan. But actually, I mean the pitch was pretty flat. And he, he was he was larking around at the end. It was it was really weird. He was he was, he was out to reverse sweep. He was playing lots of reverse sweeps. It almost looked too easy for him. You know totally dominating. Uh, so you know, though, so a hundred. You know, Lawrence gets a hundred, Harris gets a hundred, but actually, you probably say. I mean, I know Gloucestershire were well behind, but you know, Lawrence hundred in those conditions. You know, you really have to chisel it out, don't you? You have to, you have to work damn hard to get uh, those runs in in circumstances like that. So yeah, it was you know some grounds there were, you know, the the ball was dominating. I mean, down at Southampton, for example, uh, where Hampshire, who we you know we previewed a, a few weeks ago on our podcast, uh, you know, the ball. It was helping the the bowlers down there as well. I noticed um, Fletcher Middleton. Uh, it's sort of a name from Hampshire's past, isn't it? Well, not not Fletcher. Uh, spelled F L E T C H A. I've not seen that one uh, before. Fletcher Middleton, but Tony Middleton, former Hampshire player who scored a bucket load of runs in in nineteen ninety two. I dare say he knocked you around somewhere uh, round and about, didn't he, uh, Yoz? And he went on an England A tour at the age of about. 28. This is uh, his dad. It's Fletcher's dad. Yeah, Tony Middleton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he wasn't the best player to bowl at actually because he was he was a quite a boring player, and but you couldn't see how to get him out. Mm. Uh, so it, in a way, I, I used to prefer bowling at someone who gave you a bit of a chance, you know, who had a bit of a dash outside off or something, and he never did. You know, he was very compact, very composed, very methodical. And actually, those batsmen, I just got bored bowling at those batsmen and in the end gave them something to hit, which is, of course, what they wanted. So they they won that little get that little duel. Um, Fletcher, Middleton, yeah, good luck to him. I mean, I, I hope he's got a few more shots than his dad, but <laughs> that wouldn't be hard. Well, the strange thing was, back in those days, you know, players who, who did well in the English season might get on an A tour, but would they really get in the 
the test match team. I mean, things are done differently these days. I mean, the Lions players who go are sort of identified at a much younger age, whereas Tony Middleton just, you know, he's a decent county player, but he had a good season. But was, was he going to play sort of moving towards the, you know, the age of 30? You know, probably not. Although, you know, these days, I mean, Andrew Strauss made his test debut at, at 27. So, you know, it, it can happen, can't it? You know, late flourishes. And then you've argued in the past, actually, that some players know their game a bit better as, as they get older, especially batters. You know, you, you can have, you know, you can be someone like Harry Brook who's, who's, or Joe Root who makes their debut for England, say, at a young age. You're obviously class player and they're going to have a, a long career. But some people just take a little bit more to sort of work their game out. And when they do, uh, yeah, they, they, they can be pretty effective. It's funny, actually, how, how that it's it's something you're born with, I think. So, so if you're lucky, you're an Alistair Cook or you're a Joe Root, who just seems to know instinctively how to bat when they're 21. And they can work their way through an innings. They know how to construct an innings. And then others, as you say, you know, the Strausses and... You know, even, I mean, Marcus Truscothic was a slightly later developer. Even Michael mm. Vaughan, actually. I remember Vaughan touring England uh, for England A when he was 21, and he was a little bit un- uncertain. But, you know, as time goes on, you play more, you accumulate the knowledge. But Harry Brook, I mean, it, it, he just looks, in fact, in fact, funnily enough, he's been struggling a bit in the IPL. But, you know, before that, in, in Test cricket or, or T20, he just looked absolutely at home and, and seems to kind of almost as if he's been there forever. Mm. And it, it's great to see that, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. Just on the, you know, people say you shouldn't start the season uh, this early because it's a lottery. But actually, we scored, We saw some very high scores. Gloucestershire, 5-6-9. Worcestershire, 4-7-3. Yorkshire, 517. Warwickshire made 392. You know, there are other scores in there as well. Leicestershire making the 392 for seven to win at, at Headingley. Why is it that you can have... You know, lots of rain around, um, and it was quite cool, wasn't it? Overcast last week at times, the sun came out towards the end of it. Why is it that batters are flourishing, even though everyone says, oh, no, it's a, it's a lottery, it's going to be, a, a, you know, seen bowlers heaven at this stage of the season? Is it, is it to do with the drainage now on, on our county grounds? And, and covering as well, because, you know, in the olden days, there would be a lot of plastic sheets on grounds wouldn't there and um, or even the roll-on covers where pitches sweat underneath because uh, you get the sun on the, the dampish pitch and obviously the moisture comes up as a result so even sun uh, under the covers will heat the covers up and you know therefore the, the, the moisture will come to the surface but with these hover covers now which blow air onto the pitch and they've got them everywhere in fact one broke down didn't it and I think the Cardiff one broke down and they couldn't start play on one of the days because uh, I couldn't get it off off the square in time for a start of play. Uh, but those cover covers, I think, have made a huge difference because they're blowing warm, dry air across the pitch and making sure they don't sweat. So is it nonsense to say you, you, you can't or shouldn't play in April? I mean, it, I mean because... The, because uh, yeah, the English... it is nonsense. It's totally nonsense. I mean, the problem, of course, is it, if you've got saturated outfields, that's probably more difficult. I mean, the week before the first match at Lords, I was down there, and it was, you know, it was heavy rain, and the nursery wasn't available. You couldn't practice on the nursery because it was literally a, a big puddle. But the but the drainage at the main ground enables you to be able to play in pretty much any weather. In fact, they have to water the main ground quite a lot of the summer because it drains so quickly. So I think I think it's more a problem of outfields and pitches. And and look at what counties now 
playing in marquees on the square. I mean, I was down at the Oval in, I think, February, and there was a marquee on the square, and they were practising inside, effectively, but on the square, uh, you know, in, in February. So it is it is ridiculous. I, I don't see any reason why we can't start in April. I mean, obviously, it's, it's harder for the spectators. You know, they have to huddle up, and the cameramen are wrapped in about four layers and things like that, and bobble hats and so on. And it is, you know, as you mentioned, I think, in the podcast last week, you don't necessarily want a scything cut at Backward Gully um, on the 6th of April to, to have to take it. There are going to be a few sore fingers. But from most points of view, when we are struggling to fit all this cricket in uh, because of so many competitions and stuff, it does make total sense to start early. Yeah, I suppose the only thing is for the for the spinners. I mean, the, the two games I watched, I don't know what it was like elsewhere, but the two games I watched, there wasn't much pace in the pitch. Uh, yeah, and the, the spinners, there was a bit there towards the end, but you know, not much at Old Trafford and, and not much at Cardiff as well. I was just having a look around to see which spinners took wickets. Well, Don Best took a fifer, spinner taking a fifer in April, early April, but it was five for 158 off 32 overs when his side conceded nearly 400 in the final innings. And then it was Jack Leach. He took four for down at Taunton, four for 119, but those came off 29 overs. You know, he was going at four and over, although he did, you know, they were four top order wickets. So there were some, yeah, there were some wickets around, but they were pretty expensive for the slow bowlers. And, that, and that's what you, you probably expect at, at this stage of the season. Apart from that, you know, there was the old, the old spinner wicket uh, here and there, really. It was, the, it was the seam bowlers who, who took the wickets, but you know there are enough batters out there who were dominating and getting off to good starts to the season. Yeah, and uh, a good all-round performance generally by Hampshire, who mm. we kind of tipped, I think, in our podcast previews as potential championship winners. Of course, it's 50 years since they won the championship in 1973. Uh, they started superbly with that win against Notts at the Aegeus Bowl, uh, helped massively by that brilliant Mohamed Abbas taking nine wickets in the match and, and just, you know, having the ball on a string, nipping it one way and, and then the other. I mean, he's an absolutely incredible bowler to watch, especially early season operate. And incredible to see that he doesn't get picked by Pakistan, actually. But uh, anyway, great start for Hampshire. So uh, they will feel very confident of, of making it their first championship since 1973, although, of course, very early days. Yeah, very early days. And their next assignment is at the Oval against Surrey. So that, you know, and then they got thrashed there last year. So we'll see how they come up. And, you know, if they can give Surrey a, a, a real a tussle down at the Oval, perhaps even beat them, then, yeah, there's a bit more evidence that Hampshire might be the side uh, for this season. But, yeah, it is it is so early, isn't it? And you get injuries and all sorts of things happen. I mean, you know, you talk about April and at the end of the season where significant amounts of championship cricket is played, you know, September, so it's, you know, so far down the line, things can change round. Okay, after the break, we're going to talk about some dramatic happenings in the IPL. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. 
And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Right, welcome back. Where do we want to start then, Yoz? Uh, do we want to start with uh, Rinku Singh versus Yash Dayal? Or do we want to st- talk about the final ball of the match between uh, Lucknow and RCB, which, for those of you who haven't seen it, okay, let's let's talk about that first because we I don't know whether we're going to disagree on this or not. Where there was a potential running out, backing up, what's otherwise known as a a, a man card, where Harsh Patel ran into bowl. Ravi Bishnoi was the non-striker. Harshal needed to not concede a run off that delivery. They had one wicket left. And, of course, Bishnoi was trying to get to the other end to win the match. They wanted one to win uh, for his team, Lucknow. And Harshal Patel went into bowl, stopped, tried to run out Bishnoi, backing up. He was well out of his ground, well out of his ground. He missed the stumps as he went to sort of flick it. And then as he followed through, it took him down the pitch a bit, the bowler. So he then tried to throw the ball at the stumps. But that is, you can't run someone out backing up like that. So Bishnoi survives, despite the fact he was well down. Harshal bowls the final ball and they managed to get through uh, for a bye because Dinesh Kartik fumbled it. So what we could have had, Yoz, is we could have had a, uh, a mancad or whatever you want to call it, run out backing up sort of settling the game, couldn't we? They'd have been all out. Okay, it would have been a super over, scores level, but it would, it would have sort of, there would have been an element of settling the game. Uh, I, that hasn't happened at, at top level before in, in sort of main competitions. We, you know, we've, we've seen players been uh, run out back in. I think it might have happened in an under-19 match, where Zimbabwe won a game um, by a run out backing up. But in an absolute clutch moment like that, it, it, it you know it would have had a decisive impact on the match. Where do you stand on that? You are anti-running out, backing up. Where do you stand on that? And bear in mind that Bishnoi was about three yards down the pitch when Harshal tried to run him out, backing up. Well, I mean, does, does Ravi Bishnoi not watch the game or understand the, 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 the direction of travel? Because he was nuts to be basically sprinting as the bowler approached the crease uh, and way out of his ground, as you say. So I have no sympathy with him. In this particular case, I have no sympathy with him. I mean, what I think is quite funny is that Harshal Patel... Oh, so you have no sympathy? Hold I know, on. I don't. You have no gonna, sympathy I'll, with him I'll, in this I'll, case. I'll clarify that. I'll clarify that in a minute. He was clearly trying to steal a run. So, yes, you can run him out. Many batsmen, batters are not trying to steal a run. And therefore, I think it's devious to run them out at the bowler's end. But in this case, yes, absolutely, it was fair enough. And he should have been much more aware of the situation. I mean, you know, it's interesting to see whether if Ravi Bishnoi was bowling the final ball of a match, whether he would do the same. Of course, it's much easier for a spinner. And I was just going to say, I mean, the funny thing with Harshal Patel, he's got quite a long run-up. He's a fast bowler. And he was charging to the wicket... And then almost, I mean, he'd obviously decided he was going to try and do the bankad, but he hadn't really kind of quite worked out how to to effect it. He'd obviously not practiced it because he was running too fast. So by the when he got when he got to his delivery stride and decided right, he's going to do the mancad, he was overbalanced and missed the wicket. 
So he hadn't planned it very well. It was comical. And then, of course, it followed through down the wicket. Um, the batsman's miles out of his ground, tries to dive back in. Harshal Patel throws at the stump, misses. No, in fact, he, I think he hit, didn't he? But the, the batsman had dived back in by then anyway. And you're not allowed to run the person out. After attempting a mancad, you then can't, if you miss the stumps, you can't then try and throw the stumps down. So the whole thing was totally comical. I mean, I just think Bishnoi was was really naive to think he could have got away with it. But ultimately, he did, because he did the same thing the next ball, the actual final ball, and made it down the other end. And he was halfway down the wicket as the bowler released the ball on that delivery as well. So Ravi Bishnoi is a lucky lad, in my view. Yeah, so he gambled, didn't he? The, the, the actual final ball, when it was bowled, he gambled that Harshal Patel wasn't going to do the same thing again. He wasn't going to stop and try and uh, run him out uh, backing up. He, Harshal Patel was perfectly within his rights to do so. But, I mean, how long do you want to, for, that, you know, to, for that to happen? I mean, you could just keep on going, couldn't you? You could run in, pretend to bowl, and then see whether Bishnoi stays back. But actually, as you say, Bishnoi is stealing ground on the actual last ball as well. So he, he gambled and, and got it right. I mean, one, I sort of, I see where you're making the, um, sort of drawing the line here, that you know, you, you know it's the last ball and, and Bishnoi was clearly trying to steal ground. But how do you know what's in a batter's mind? You're, you're basically, you're saying that I know every time, every situation, apart from that on the last ball, I know what's in the batter's mind and they're never trying to steal ground. Why are they, why are they backing up then? Why don't they stay in their crease? I mean, we're back to the... You know, we're back to where we were. You know, stay in your ground, and if you're yeah. if you're out of your ground, then you are backing up too far and trying to potentially. That's the whole point of backing up is to try to get yourself down the pitch and and to give yourself a slight advantage, as much advantage as you possibly can, to to take a tight run or a two or a three or whatever. So I personally, I, I, I know people are are un, are unhappy with the idea of, of running someone out backing up, but I, I mean, I thought in this instance, Harsh would tell if he if he'd actually managed to maintain his balance and, and run him out, then uh, Bishnoi's got absolutely no comeback whatsoever. I mean, he's, he, he is definitely trying to steal ground, which is what the law has been brought in to try to stop. And the MCC are absolutely clear about it. They have doubled down. And there's a classic, absolute classic example of why they are trying to stop uh, batters uh, backing up. Because Bishnoi was clearly, clearly trying to take advantage. Okay, and we might all have done it in his situation, hope to get away with it. And, we, and of course, he did eventually on that, that final ball when it was bowled. But that's what the law is there to try to stop. Mm. We've had lots of uh, comment on our World's Best Cricket Club chat box, the, the WhatsApp group, uh, about solutions mm. to this. And lots of people su suggesting, actually, that the third umpire should be the third umpire's job to watch the non-striker every ball, and and start docking mm. runs if if batsmen are, uh, you know, batters are out of their ground as the bowler releases a ball, and they run through for a single, then then that's a short run, so it doesn't count. I just think, although that is a, in theory quite a nice idea, I just think in practice, you know, trying to watch the non-striker every ball and judge whether he's out of his ground slightly or not when the bowler releases the ball. It's yeah. just going to be just a, a step too far, really. Well, also, they're supposed to be checking the no balls at the same time as well. well you, so yeah, but you can, do that. In, you can do in, that. You can sort of do that more easily because, you, I mean, as the bowler bowls, you can sort of tell if they're close. And if they're close, you can have a quick look. Uh, you can just rewind mm. it and have a quick look. Whereas 
with the non-striker, you know, it's a minute thing, isn't it? Whether they're backed out of the ground as the ball's released. Yeah. And I don't know. It's, mm. it would just be, a, I think it's a bit of a, bit of a chore having to do that if you were doing that job. Well, also, if you saw, it's almost like reviewing every ball it's like to yeah. the nth degree, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, the, these games will never end. I mean, we're already having a situation where wides and above waist height deliveries are yes. being uh, reviewed, right. and it, and it's slowing the game down. And there's there was one in the in the first match where the ball hit, well, might have hit the wire of the spider cam, and that took five minutes to work out whether it just flicked it. It was almost like you know one of those snicko things. And the ball went for six, as it was. Well, you know, all, all the wire's going to do is take some of the pace off it. So they should have used a bit of common sense and just sort of gone with the game and said, well, it would have been an even bigger six. I think we've discussed this before. But, you know, where do you, where do you go with all this? So it's, it's really tricky. Um, but you're right. I, the, I the games comes... are lasting, you know, four and a half hours now, aren't they? I mean, you know, the, the whole four idea... A, well, four and a quarter was... hours. I've done two. Yeah. Yeah, I've done two four and a quarter hour games in this season's IPL. I mean, and it... It, it feels there, there are times when you feel like what why are they not just getting on with the game the game just comes to a, a standstill for almost no reason sometimes it's obvious you know it does take a while to is it you know is this a wide is it above waist height no ball you know what what's happened here and then you know i think there was one, there was one match early on in the tournament where somehow there was some red and white tape near the near the sight screen and the batter had spotted it in the distance, some red, some red and white stringy tape. And so that needed, you know, that, that caused delay where someone had to run back and sort of rip, sort of rip it away from the sights. Because, you know, there's all sorts of things that can, uh, you know, halt the, halt the play, it seems to be, in the IPL. And, and, you know, some people are very cynical about it. They say, well, it's, you know, just so they can get uh, more adverts in. Well, that's what, the, that's what the timeouts are there for, the strategic timeouts. Uh, but, but I think the game would benefit from actually speeding up a... A little bit more. Anyway, there, so there was the the run out backing up potential uh, controversy. Um, but you know, if if the game had been settled by that, it would have gone to super over, super over if Patel had, had run out. It's uh, another half an hour. Would people so have gone? Well, yeah. Would people have gone into their bunkers on it, or would actually people on this in this example, like you have said, actually no, I can see why he would have legitimately been able to run him out backing up because he was. Taking a clear advantage. Anyway, answers on a postcard. Uh, don't um, send us tweets. Put answers on a postcard. No, you can if you want. Um, you, you can get in touch with us. We, and we must be the only podcast that. who doesn't, who don't ask people to send you something on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> send it on a postcard. I think that sounds a bit old no. school. They don't. You know, do yeah. you actually, do postcards actually exist anymore? Anyway, I suppose they do. But I haven't sent one. When did you last send a postcard? Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. Normally, you just you just phone people up on FaceTime well, these days. Will you send me one on, now since you're in Mallorca? <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll see when it gets back to yours. Now, because the, the, so the IPL has sort of come alive a bit, hasn't it, in the last couple of days? A lot of people say, "Oh, yeah, there are so many last over finishes," but actually, uh, in the first week, there are quite a lot of thrashings. To be honest, a couple handed out by the uh, the Rajasthan Royals. You know, Butler's been in in excellent form uh, so far, but. What I probably asked you this before, yours, but what's the most you conceded in the last over of a a limited overs well, match? I, I mean, think you once said about fifteen or something, sixteen, no, fifteen, no, sixteen. Not even that. Not even that. Actually, uh, I think the most I conceded was eleven um, in the final of the Benson Hedges Cup uh, when uh, Kent actually needed fourteen, and I we won. Uh, by you know slightly mm. by luck, but 
Uh, so that, and that was 11. And I think that's that's the most I've ever been hit for in the last over, yeah. They don't replay that one as much as the one against Warwickshire, do they, for some reason? The, the, the Kent one, they don't replay it as much. It's probably your it's, fault, it's, isn't it? It's probably all those people who are trying to get at me. <laughs> the one that I won never gets uh, any airings. It's only the one I lost. Yeah. Anyway, there we are. You know, sell a V. Okay, but I mean, Rinku Singh, I mean, smacking Yashdar for five sixes. I would just deconstruct that over and what went wrong for Yashdar. Those people who haven't seen it, and there were a lot of full tosses in there, weren't there? There was, I think, four full tosses and a length ball. Well, I mean, I think the, the ideal, it, this is a left-hander facing, and it, it, obviously it's not easy um, getting the left it right. armour to left-hander. Left-hander to left-hander, yeah. And, and, I mean, I, as a right-hander to a left-hander, you're, you're looking in this era to bowl wide and full. I would say, because, you know, naturally, a, a lower order player, I mean, Rinku Singh is a, a leg side hitter, primarily. So you would look to try and bowl wide outside off stump, th those sort of wide Yorkers, if you can. Um, and unfortunately, the bowler just couldn't get his Yorkers in. They were waist high full tosses. Uh, and, that they, you know, they're perfect. Even if they're wide, you can still clatter them. And so he then, after a couple of those, he then thought, well, I, I'm just not getting my Yorker. Uh, I don't want to risk another attempt at, at the Yorker because it's going to be another full toss. You freeze, clearly. And uh, then he went to back of the length instead because that's a sort of safety valve and maybe he felt the, the, the batter wasn't going to expect that. But in, on that pitch, it just sat up. I mean, it is the most fantastic hitting. Mm. He didn't appear to me to try and change his pace or anything. And, you know, if you've got someone swinging from the hip like that and he's only got to hit sixes, that's all he can do to win, then surely changing your pace has got to be one of your defaults because one of those shots, he's going to be swinging from the hip, one of those shots is going to go straight up in the air and it might go for six or it might be caught. But at least try one slightly different ball. And, you know, it goes. Um, this is what happens when... You get in those situations. Look at Ben Stokes, 2016 in Calcutta, final of the World T20. You know, he, he, again, he could have tried a slower ball or something, but you kind of almost get magnetically drawn to bowling the ball the batsman wants. It's it's a it's a sort of psychological anomaly, really. But in that situation, the panic sets in for the bowler, and you just can't deliver what you want to. Mm, yeah, I mean, astonishing finish. As well, if you're a bowler, you're probably, I don't know, you, you tell me, you're probably thinking, this surely this isn't going to happen. Surely this isn't going to happen. And the balls just keep disappearing. You think it, it could happen, it could happen. And you, you it's all, the game is unlosable when you start the over, really. And then gradually as the over continues, you realise actually you're, you're going to be the full guy in, in one, of the, you know, one of the most astonishing finishes, I think, to any uh, white ball game. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a... A match like that. I've never no, seen. And it's like six that. more, isn't it? I think six more runs off the final over than has ever been achieved before. Mm. So it is astonishing. Yeah, I've seen. I've I've seen a James a James Fuller over go for thirty eight against Scott Styris down at Hove. You know, a blast a quarter final match, and that was that was astonishing hitting. But that was sort of in the middle of the match. It was in the first innings. I mean, this was in a pressure situation. Okay, you might say Rinku Singh had you know he just had to go for it, and and it, and it was his day, and it and it was. Uh, but but I'm mean, absolutely astonishing to win a 
a game from there, was they wanted 38 off the last eight balls. I mean, there is, you know, there is a temptation sometimes when you're commentating on the IPL to say, oh, this game's finished. But every now and again, a, a game you know, gets up and bites you on the, the backside, you know, for, you know, for no way. I mean, Doney was used to be really good at it. You know, you, you, you could take 60 off the last four overs. You think this is unwinnable. No, not even Doney today. And then, you know, he wins it with, a, you know, a couple of balls to spare. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, actually, I did. I did actually switch off with that from that game because I thought, no, they've got no chance with sort of seventy to win from four overs or three overs or something. Mm. But you're right. One of my favourite IPL memories actually was at the famous, the wonderful Durham Shala Ground, which they don't seem to use that much anymore, uh, right up in the Himalaya sort of foothills, and. Um, Chennai Super Kings needed 64 from four overs, not only to win the match, but also to stay in the tournament because they had to win to get into the playoffs. And Dhoni was in and had been pottering about. And the, the, the 64 from four overs became um, 23 from the last over and he got it with two balls to spare. And the last ball, it, it, it was Erfan Patan, the left arm of bowling, and the ball from Dhoni went into orbit. Uh, he went out of the ground and you know into the Himalayas somewhere and was probably found by a, a Sherpa sometime later. But my God, what a heist from from Dhoni there! It was just and it, and actually the sight of a white ball sailing into the dark night sky to win a game is just you know it happened in the World Cup final in 2011, didn't it as well? And it, again, it was Dhoni. And he's yeah. still doing it, don't he, isn't he? I mean, he, he, I think he's only faced about five balls in the tournament and about four of them have gone for six. Well, he had Incredible. that great confrontation with Mark Wood, didn't he, when he came in and hit two balls for six and then Wood got him out on the third ball. Just talking about English players, I mean, Brooks started very slowly uh, for Sunrisers. Uh, I, I've seen a couple of his innings. He looked a bit bamboozled by the spin in, in one of the innings he played. Uh, but also, Ben Stokes hasn't made a great start and not fit for Chennai's last game with a, a sore heel. And, and no Jofra Archer in the last game for the Mumbai Indians. How concerned uh, should England supporters be about no Stokes and no Archer? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure that they should worry too much about Stokes. Um, he, he may, you know, it may be that there'll be sort of injuries that crop up from time to time, which just spare him too many games actually it's a sort of convenient way of of resting if you like yeah um but i mean with archer i would be worried because elbows are so fragile he's had a flare-up after his get his first game uh he, he felt some discomfort in an elbow he just had two operations and that's the, the the elbow is the total key to his bowling because he gets a hyper extension and that's where he gets his pace from as much as anything uh, so I would be really worried for, for him for, for long term. And I mean, he has said recently, uh, if if he plays one test match in the Ashes, that'll be a bonus. Mm. So it, it's not sounding great for him, which is which is really sad. Mark Wood, on the other hand, blimey, God, he's just he's an absolute rocket, isn't he? Every ball is a rocket, and I, I well, long may it continue for him. Yeah, um, for Jofra Archer, when you haven't played first-class cricket for such a long time, you talk about playing Test cricket. I mean, you, you know, you might have to bowl what thirty overs in the game, something like that. And if you haven't bowled that sort of number of overs, it, 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 it is perhaps asking a lot. I mean, he's a great weapon to have if he's fit, but we'll see on that one whether he's going to be able. To, and there's some suggestions that he might better play the Ireland Test match before the Ashes, and they'll manage him. But you know yourself with. with 
with bowling, it takes a, a, a big toll on you. Yeah, no, it does, and it, it, it you you just wouldn't want to risk it. I, I can't see him playing in that Ireland Test match, actually. Mm. I, I would have thought that the most likely scenario is he plays maybe the odd few games in the IPL, comes home, has a lot more rehab, and they try and get him fit for one test, as he said, maybe try and get him fit for one test in the Ashes. But the, the, the amount of force he puts through his, his elbows to, to generate that sort of pace... It's just if if anything's not quite right, it's not going to work. And and Wood, of course, has had all his own share of injuries in the past. I mean, he looks fighting fit at the moment. I think he's the leading wicket taker in the IPL, isn't he? he certainly, t- he took five for in his first game, yeah. three for in his second game. He knocked the stumps out uh, with uh, his second to last ball in yesterday's game. So I think he's got nine wickets. So he's doing he's doing great. Yeah, he is the leading wicket-taker as we record at the moment. Mark Wood, nine, Chahal, eight, and Rashid Khan, eight as well. So that's the Championship. Uh, that's the IPL. The season uh, is, well, it's underway, isn't it? Um, only about uh, six months to go of the domestic season and the ne- next round of matches starting on Thursday. Yeah, and our next podcast actually will be on Friday, aimed more at the amateur game because all of you will be starting your matches pretty soon. I was down at my local club actually uh, last weekend and it all looked fantastic although there's been a lot of water taken on by these grounds so groundsmen are looking a little bit warily at damp squares at the moment but I know you'll be starting your your matches fairly soon so we're going to have a special this Friday on bats on, on how they're made, the best providers, the best value and some special advice from Ian Bell about how to pick your ideal bat. So that's coming up on Friday. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.